Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Hasn't this been amazing weather? I think we've skipped wintered. That's my prediction. We've skipped winter, and uh, it'll be, we'll see. Well, that's a bad thing then. Yeah. I take that back then. We haven't skipped winter. We're still going to have hockey season. Okay. But uh, uh, it is great to see all of you. Um, We've been in a series called Resilient, and uh, we've been looking at the life of this uh, really cool Old Testament character named Joseph. And the word resilient, I love finding out definitions. The word resilient means able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. And if you've been here for this series, you know that this young man, Joseph, has uh, had, had many difficult conditions to recover from. And what we've seen in this series is that the constant Uh, The constant theme in his life, uh, whatever the difficult conditions, whether it's been a high or a low, the constant theme has been his his trust in God through it all. And that's where his resilience has come from, right? It's it's kingdom resilience. Remember the quote that we've been looking at all through this series? It's kingdom resilience is taking one more step with God. And let me step away from my notes just for a second. You may or may not have noticed there's a little bit of tension in the air over a certain election. Uh, maybe un- unless you don't have television or radio or any electricity, but even then I get, I'm sure you would know. But, you know, when I look at this season that we're in right now, whether you're pleased with, what's, with the results or you're, you're disappointed or you're frustrated or you're angry at what's going on, either way, I am convinced that we all have an incredible opportunity right now to grow in our kingdom resilience. We all have an opportunity right now to take a step with God. So here's a great prayer to be praying right now. God, I pray that you would bless, that you would protect, that you would give wisdom to lead the country to whoever ends up being our president. But God, my hope is not in him. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. You, amen, I agree. You alone, you alone reign over the heavens and the earth. So God, I put my trust in you. That is kingdom resilience. That's taking a step with God. So I want to encourage you, you know, to be praying that often. I know as different emotions, you know, rise up or you watch the news, uh, I keep coming back there. So there, I knew I had to address it because you can just feel it. You can feel it. So back to, the, back to my talk. Uh, up until this point, our focus has been on Joseph. And uh, what we're going to look at today is the, is the camera is, is, is pulling back. And we're going to have his 10 brothers brought into the frame, if you will, brought into the story. And uh, they don't know it. The brothers don't know it. Uh, Joseph doesn't know it yet. But God is getting ready to do something really cool. He's getting ready to reunite this family. But before he can do that, there needs to be some relational uh, reconciliation. And uh, both parties, the offender, which is the brothers, the offended, which is Joseph, uh, both parties have to deal with a certain issue from the past. If you remember in the story, the last time that Joseph was with his 10 older brothers, uh, they were deciding whether or not to kill him. 
And I would call that a bit of an issue. Uh, in the end, they decided uh, to sell him into slavery. And in what we're going to look at today, what we're seeing is uh, that God is working in Joseph's heart to bring him from a place of forgiveness to then reconciling with his brothers. He's working in the brothers' hearts to bring them, to move them from a place of repentance and then uh, to reconciling with Joseph. And what I want us to see today is that God, God is so aware and really gets all the relational challenges we face uh, as human beings. Like he knows, he knows that in this life, we're going to have lots of opportunities to either be the offender or to be the offended. Like he totally gets that. In marriage, it happens from time to time. Uh, in families, uh, at work, at school, business partners, even in churches, in small groups, and yes, even during elections. But this is really important. God knows this about us. He knows that when you offend another person, when you sin against another person, that there is a weight of guilt that drops onto your shoulders. And that weight we were not built to carry. God also knows that when you are the person offended, when you're the person who's been sinned against, he knows that for that person there is a weight of wanting to be judge, jury, and executioner that drops onto your shoulders. And again, that weight we were also not built to carry. And so what we're going to see today is that God wants to meet us in the heavy relational places uh, and help us, really to help us lay down uh, those weights. So within the context of this series, again, it's called Resilient. Just for this weekend, I've tweaked our quote. So instead of kingdom resilience, it's now kingdom relational resilience is taking one more step relationally with God. So let's pray, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into the story. So Lord, thanks for a new day. Thank you for just a, another beautiful day. Lord, I thank you that this isn't just another Sunday, but this is, this is the first time this day has been lived. And I thank you for each one that's here, uh, from the oldest to the youngest. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm grateful for the freedom we have to gather. And I pray, Lord, that you would come real close today. Lord, just come and uh, uh, heal us. Lord, for those that do carry weights, whether it's as the offender or offended, I pray that there would be freedom today. Thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so believe it or not, we're going to go through three chapters today. It's 106 verses. So if you've ever heard an auctioneer, no, we won't, we won't go that fast, but, <laughs> but almost, almost, we'll see. So let me set the stage. Last weekend, uh, we learned Andrew was teaching, and we learned that there in Egypt and really in the Middle East, there's this, this massive famine going on. But uh, God has raised up Joseph. He's given Joseph wisdom, you know, in his new role as the prime minister in Egypt. And, and so Egypt has uh, set aside lots and lots of grain to, uh, to care, to help them get through this famine as well as others. So the story starts off now in chapter 42, verse 1. Here's what it says. <clears throat> when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. Now, we can see there the famine has reached Canaan, where uh, Jacob, his sons, and their families live. And I figure it would have been 
pretty common knowledge that there was, uh, there was food in Egypt. I mean, there's a, there's a famine going on. That kind of news would have spread real fast. So as Jacob is saying to his sons, like, why are you guys standing around looking at one another? I think what he's getting at is this. Uh, <clears throat> why are you hesitating to go down to Egypt to get food? We need food. And I wonder, I wonder if the son's hesitation to go down to Egypt uh, came from uh, guilty consciences. That's right. And I, I wonder if the thought of just the thought of going to Egypt was triggering their guilty consciences. It's now been over 20 years since these brothers sold their little bro Joe into slavery, right? He sold them to slave traders who were going to Egypt. And isn't that how, how it works with guilt? And what I mean is this. If, like, if you're guilty about something, you can, you can push that guilt down. You can move it all around. You can try to cover that guilt up. Uh, but, 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 but you just can't make, it a go, can't make it go away on your own. And haven't you found, if you're guilty about something, all it takes, all it takes is if, if you hear someone's name, a certain name of a family member, or if you, you, know, you uh, hear about that business partner or you know, a certain event, someone brings it up. Or in this case, they hear the name Egypt. And boom, no matter how deep you think you buried your guilt, it just comes roaring to the surface. And that's what we see in the brothers. I mean, they, they, I think guilt is coming to the surface in their lives, but they need to eat. So verse 6, they head off to Egypt, and this is their first meeting with Joseph. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Stop there. So here come the brothers. They're bowing down in front of Joseph. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him, which totally makes sense. The last time they saw him, he was 17. Now he's in his late 30s. He's, he's the prime minister, so he's wearing some pretty nice Egyptian clothes. And in the, in the Egyptian culture, he would have been clean-shaven. And the brothers would never, never in a million years could have imagined that he would have been in such a position of authority because they sold him in, into slavery. And just imagine for Joseph, if again, if you're familiar with the story, how crazy, like what a crazy sense of deja vu it would have been to have your brothers come and bow before you. Like, because that was, you know, that's what he dreamt when he was a teenager. In fact, dreams about his brothers bowing before him are what got him in hot water uh, with, with, his, uh, with his brothers. And I'm sure, standing there with his brothers right in front of him, his heart must have been bursting with all kinds of emotions. And, you know, and, and just what we learned about Joseph, I, I'm sure there was something inside of him that so wanted to say, hey, it's me, it's Joseph. But if you look at the story, he doesn't do that. In fact, he's speaking through interpreters, and uh, he's actually accusing them of being spies. Now, why would he do that? Well, you know, whenever I'm prepping for a sermon, I'll read commentaries, just, you know, smart people who, 
who write about scripture and they, you know, and they talk about the history and language and all these different things. And one commentary said, well, what's going on here is, is Joseph is just really just having fun with his brothers. And I thought, no, I don't agree with that. But, and then one of them said, what's happening here is Joseph is getting revenge on his brothers. Like, I'm going to show you after what you did to me. But, but both of those, I go, no, I don't agree with those at all. Because that would, look, look at what we've learned about Joseph. That's totally out of character. Like in a sense, in this series, we've watched Joseph grow up. We've watched this guy grow uh, uh, and learn to be kingdom resilient, which comes from a belief that, you know, that uh, a belief in, a dependence on, a submission to God's presence and to God's plans, etc. So I believe what's going on here is that I believe that God has spoken to Joseph and literally given him divine, uh, divine guidance. Because think about it, how many times has God spoken clearly to this man to, uh, in interpreting dreams? So he hears God's voice. And I believe God has spoken to Joseph and, and given him a plan. And, and it's something like this, like, Joseph, you, you don't know where this is going, but I'm actually getting ready to reunite you with, you know, to reconcile you with your, with your brothers. But before I can do that, Joseph, there's something in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And so Joseph says to them, you know, you're spies. And they respond like, we're not spies. We're honest men. And I wonder if he heard that. Joseph's like, really? Are you really honest men? And so then he gives them a test in verse 15. He says, this is how I will test your story. One of you must go and get your brother, Benjamin. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. Well, in the end, he only kept one of them in prison. But, but I want to talk a little bit about the brother they're talking about. This is Benjamin. And Joseph, while he has 10 older brothers, he also has one little brother. And he's half brothers with all his older brothers, but Benjamin is his full brother. Benjamin is very dear to Joseph. Because him and Benjamin come from Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And I believe what's going on here is not a test about whether or not they're spies. I mean, he knows them. He knows they're not spies. Really, the test that is going on is, are you really honest men? Like, have you guys changed? And uh, I want to see my brother. Because I know what you did to me. What have you done to him? How have you been treating my little brother? Right? I want to find out, have you guys changed? And, and see, God knows that these questions in Joseph's heart they need to be answered before there's going to be any chance of reconciliation with his brothers. So, you know, in the next part of the story, we actually see movement in both Joseph and his brother's hearts towards reconciliation. After hearing this, you know, this test uh, to go get your little brother, it says in verse 21 that the brothers huddle up, and this is what they say. Speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben, who's the oldest, asked? But you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. And this part is really cool. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them. For he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. And now, hearing what they just said... It says he turned away from them and began to weep. Like, that's drama, right? Someone should make a movie about this. I think they have. But, but what we see going on here is for the brothers, again, for the brothers to move towards reconciliation with, his, with Joseph, 
There first has to be repentance. And what's going on in, in what we just read is, is God is working in the brothers' hearts. God is convicting them. Like he is poking on, remember? Remember what you guys did? Right, and, he's, he's, and, and that conviction is bringing out their confession. They're starting to own their sin, right? And another, another really healthy thing is empathy is growing in their hearts. Like for them to say, oh man, we saw his anguish, right? We, we heard his cries and we did nothing. This is our little brother. How could we have ever done such a thing? So they're moving towards repentance. And then for Joseph to move towards reconciliation, there, there first needs to be forgiveness. And can you imagine, just again, the drama of that situation. There's the brothers, and they're, you know, they're talking out loud. They don't think this guy can understand them, and he totally understands them. And he's standing there acting like he under, doesn't understand. But can you imagine uh, how moving that would have been for Joseph, how emotional that would have been for him to hear them confess what they did. And it's no surprise to me that in hearing that confession, he, you know, he runs out of the room and he finds a, you know, a private place and he weeps. Listen to this quote. Uh, what makes a person weep is a good test of character. Like when he hears their con confession, Joseph doesn't fly into a vengeful rage like, Ugh, guilty, now I'm going to stick it to you guys. He doesn't do that. He, he weeps. And a good question is, what does the weeping tell us about Joseph? Well, you know what it tells us? It tells us that God has helped this young man uh, forgive his brothers. God has helped him forgive them, and his forgiveness has made room in his heart to actually love his brothers again. And, you know, as Christians in the Bible, uh, Ephesians 4.32, you can look it up if you're a note taker, Ephesians 4.32 but in the Bible, we are commanded to forgive others as God has forgiven us. And, you know, as the offended party, forgiving the offender is, is just as much for our own good as it is for theirs. Let me read this. Forgiveness is a choice to release the offender, the offense, to God. You're handing it over to God. Recognizing that God alone is the judge, not us. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. Why is that? Because only God has the right, the perspective, the wisdom, and the authority to judge and discipline the offender. See, as the offended party, this is that weight I talked about earlier. If you've taken on the weight of being judge, jury, and execution, and whatever, wherever you've been wounded or hurt, like that is not going to help you. That's going to hurt you. And God knows that that's a weight you weren't built to carry. And so forgiveness and, and forgiveness meaning by handing the offense, by handing that person over to God, okay, God, you deal with them then. Right? That really is the way, forgiveness, of, of letting go, of, of laying down that weight. You may have heard it said that uh, forgiveness has no strings attached, but reconciliation can have many strings attached. I mean, just consider what reconciliation is. You've got two parties who are at odds, and for them to reconcile, it means they've come back together again. They've restored relationships. Um, but imagine then if, if someone has deceived you. Maybe you had a business partner who totally ripped you off, right? Or maybe, maybe within a, a marriage or a relationship, I mean, somebody has hurt you. Someone has physically hurt you. 
Or maybe, you know, someone is, has stabbed you in the back, has, you know, has talked behind your back, slammed you on social media. Like, whatever it is, just, just imagine all those different ways we can offend. Like, so there may be lots of steps needed. There may be lots of time required before enough trust can be restored and then for you to be reconciled with that person. And in some cases, wisdom would say, uh, you may never, you may never reconcile restore the relationship with that person. So Joseph, while I think it's pretty clear that he's forgiven his brothers, he is not yet at the place of reconciling with them because the question's still out there, like, have you changed? Can I trust you guys? And so in this story, you know, the the brothers, off they go uh, back to Canaan with sacks of grain, and they don't know it, but uh, Joseph told his attendant, hey, put all their money that they paid, put it all back in their sacks of grain. And the brothers don't discover this till they've gone uh, uh, quite a ways towards Canaan. And one of them opens up the, the sack of grain to get some food. And, and when he discovers it, look at the response. This is verse 28. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's right here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other, oh, what has God done to us? And you know, when I read that, I thought, well, wait a minute. What has God done to you? It looks like God has really blessed you. You just got your money back, and you still got the grain. That's a good, that looks like a really good deal, but they don't see it that way. And so why? Why didn't they? Why couldn't they see it that way? Well, when you're carrying, un, when you're carrying unconfessed sin, when you're carrying that weight of a guilty conscience, it literally will blind you and keep you from recognizing and receiving the goodness, the blessing of God. I mean, You know, this whole thing of kingdom resilience. Remember, kingdom resilience comes from believing, living life in a place that you believe that God is with you, that God is, you know, that God is for you. And I I believe that kind of a relationship, healthy relationship with God, is what we were made for. You look at the beginning of the Bible, Garden of Eden, with God and Adam and Eve, you know, in, in the garden. I mean, they not only were taking another step with God, these guys were going for an evening stroll with God in the garden. But look what happens to their relationship, Adam and Eve towards God, after Adam and Eve sin. Genesis 3.8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they ran to him and told him all the cool things they'd learned that day. They don't. Why? They're guilty. So look what they do. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. See, a guilty conscience will cause you to avoid God, will cause you to not trust him. And so, you know, them finding the money back in their, in their sacks of grain, which literally was a gift from God, something to be celebrated was something that just put terror in their hearts and made them afraid. And we find, that, we find this all later because, you know, they go back to Canaan with the, with the grain, with the money, with Joseph's order. Hey, don't come back to Egypt until you bring your little brother. And, you know, after a while, they're, you know, they, they go through all that grain and they need more food. And so they go back to Egypt uh, with Benjamin. And they also go back to Egypt with a plan to plead their innocence because they're guilty. At least that's how they see it. And, but they don't want to go to Joseph because they're afraid of this Joseph guy. And so they go to Joseph's attendant to plead their case. And look at the attendant's response. He basically says, what? You're not in trouble. He says, relax. Don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. 
I know I received your payment. So here's a good question. Who do you think paid this guy? Joseph. Joseph paid them, right? And, and for some of us, again, a guilty conscience. If you've got a guilty conscience, you literally see the presence of God. I mean, maybe even being here right now is uncomfortable for you. And, and, and here's the thing, that, that uh, really the opposite is, is what is, the, the, the opposite is the truth. What I mean is this. If you're here this morning and you've got a guilty conscience, you need to know that God is here with us and he's not here to punish you. He's not here to rub your nose in what you did. You know, he's not here to condemn you. It's the opposite truth. Right? In Romans, we read that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. If you're here with a guilty conscience today, God wants to love on you in a big way. God wants to pour on you his mercy, his grace, his kindness. He wants to pour on you forgiveness. He wants to melt away that, that barrier that you think exists between you and him. And we, and, we, and we see this in the story. You know, uh, the brothers get back. Joseph invites them over for dinner at the palace. It had to be pretty cool. And, and as the evening progresses, that barrier, that fear starts to melt in their own hearts. And, the, and the, uh, chapter 43 ends with this verse. Uh, so they feasted and drank freely with him. And when I look at that, I think, here again, I bet it would have been so tempting for Joseph to, to not tell him who he was. I mean, it looks like it's, it's going so well. But again, he doesn't do it, and he doesn't do it because there's one more test that needs to, to happen bef- to see if his older brothers have really changed. So the next morning after their dinner, the 11 brothers fire up their donkeys and, and start heading back to Canaan, and they've got you know, their sacks of grain, and, yet, and again, uh, they don't know it, but their money is back in the sacks of grain. But this time, there's a new twist. Joseph's asked his attendant, hey, I want you to take my, you know, my personal, uh, it was nicer than this, but my personal silver cup, and I want you to put it in Benjamin, the youngest, put it in his sack of grain. And so, the, you know, the brothers take off, and they're just about to get on an I-5 when, the, when Joseph sends his attendant, go after him, and he's got a fast donkey, <laughs> I can make a joke there, but he goes after them, he catches up to the brothers, and he accuses them of stealing Joseph's cup. And the brothers are like, what? Like, they're indignant. That's impossible. We would never do that. And they go so far as to say, look, you can search all our bags, all these sacks of grain. Uh, If you find it in one of the sacks of grain, you can kill that brother, and the rest of us will be your slaves. And this is really important. The attendant responds with, okay, easy, you guys. Uh, Nobody needs to die. But here's the plan. If I find that cup in one of your sacks of grain, that brother will become my slave, and the rest of you are free to go home. And of course, he looks in their sacks of grain, and he finds it in Benjamin, in Benjamin's sack of grain. And their brothers are like, oh, no, not Benjamin. Look how they respond in verse 13. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. And here's where we come to the final test. Here's where, you know, Joseph is wondering, okay, you guys have shown, uh, your words show that you have changed. I heard your confession. But now I need to know, uh, what about your actions? Well, your actions also show that you have changed. You've got the perfect opportunity right now, brothers. 
Uh, are you going to abandon little brother Benjamin the way you abandoned me? And what, and what Joseph is getting at is, is there's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Because remorse, remorse is a selfish sadness. Like the, remorse is a sadness not because of what you have done. It's a sadness because you got caught doing what you were doing. Whereas repentance is a, it's a humble sadness. It's a sadness that, that owns what you've done and will do anything to make it right. Listen to this poem. It is not enough to say, I'm sorry and repent. And then go on from day to day, just as we always went. Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing them no more. And that's what we see in the story. It's like, like, it's not just about words of repentance, it's about actions of repentance. And when we get to this final test, it is so fitting. It's so fitting uh, that the one who takes this test really on behalf of all the brothers, the one who really uh, is taking this test is Judah. And that's fitting because Judah was the brother who back in chapter 37, he was the brother who originally decided to abandon their little brother Joseph and to, uh, you know, sell him into the hands of slave traders. Uh, but thankfully, Judah has changed. Listen to this, verse 32. Judah says, my Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. Judah has changed. Judah passes the final test. It wasn't just words. He's, he's showing it in his actions that he is a changed man. And in that place, God says to Joseph, now, now, now this family, now these brothers are ready to be reconciled. And so we need to stop there because you're going to have to wait for the rest of it till next week. Okay, for real, Heather gets the good part. <laughs> I'm the ramp, and she gets to be the rocket with a very wonderful story. Okay, why don't we all stand up? We're going to end there. You're like, what? Yeah, we're going to end there. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to uh, take communion together. And if you don't have uh, communion elements, they're back on the table. So feel free right now to go back and grab those. <clears throat> but here's the thing. I realized that was a long story, uh, and I also realized this weekend, I, I don't know how many people this talk is for. And what I mean is this. I know that in the room right now, that there are people who are carrying weights, that are carrying weights that they were not built to carry. And we're going to, yeah. And it may be the weight of guilt. It may be something that happened recently. It may be, it may be something that happened years ago, like in, like in Joseph's case. But it's something that where you have wronged someone and you are carrying a weight of guilt, or it might be maybe you were the one who was wronged. You're the offended. And, and you are God, you, you're carrying a weight today and uh, you've been hurt. You want justice. You want revenge. And in both cases, both those weights are hurting both sets of people. Uh, again, with, with, with these type of weights, you can, you, know, you can push them down. You can move them around. You can try to cover them up. But the thing you can't do is make them go away on your own. But this morning, I have really good news. You can't make it go away, but Jesus can. Jesus 
and take that weight off your shoulders. You don't have to leave today carrying that weight. And the way we do it, the way we unload those weights is through confession. You know, if you're the guilty party, you need to confess that to the Lord. You need to admit it to him what you've done. If you're the offended, you know, the offended party, you need to invite God into that, that situation. Oh, God, help me even start the process of handing over how that person hurt, hurt me, of moving towards forgiving that person. And as we go back into worship after communion, I really want to challenge you. If that's you today, start a conversation with God. Start, let today be where you start, you know, just start opening up with him about that. But before we take communion together, we're going to read a couple of verses just to prepare our hearts. So let's read this before we take communion. Let's read it together. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for what we remember when we take communion. I thank you for your body broken, your blood poured out for our sake to set us free, to wash us clean. And I thank you that right now we all stand in this place in the shadow of the cross. And I pray that you would fill this room with your love, with your, the, the power of your cleansing blood. Lord, I pray that many would leave today clean, weightless, set free because of what you did on the cross. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat it, eat it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. The same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. As we go back into worship, I, I pray, I just hear the Lord. I just, I just see the picture of Jesus just standing up on this hill saying, come one, come all. I have what you need. No one, no one needs to carry around the wounds and the weight of sin. Whether you're the, you know, the, the offender or the offended, I have what you need today to be washed clean and to be set free. And so as we worship, I just encourage you, let, let him love you. Let him come close. If you get a picture, a word, a scripture that you feel that is for the greater group, come on over here to Andrew, let him know. And then uh, after these two songs, we'll take some time to hear what he's doing, and then we'll take some time to pray. So let's, let's worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.